1: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, April 18th. You guys perhaps listening to this on Monday the 19th, enjoying the off day by listening to us talk about the Cubs drop another series. So happy Monday, happy off day, everybody. The Cubs drop two of three at Wrigley Field to the Atlanta Braves to begin this homestand. And Brendan kind of like the series with Milwaukee, where in that second game of that series, we had that big Wilson Contreras game-winning home run, a little bit of fire from him. and You kind of hoped the Cubs would take that into the finale and win the series. Didn't happen that way. They got blown out in that one. And the same thing happens here this weekend so saturday looked like you know the offense we finally got that offensive explosion we've been waiting for so many guys contributing throughout the lineup and then they lost by the exact same score the next day so it it didn't really take the difference
0: though between the Milwaukee series and this series is that rather than just having Wilson go off in Milwaukee, the the entire team, they're hitting high fastballs, they looked like more locked in. So even though they lost the series, it was the first sign of the entire year where I felt like, Ugh, okay, they're seeing pitches, they're hitting mistake pitches, buys hit a mistake slider, sent it like 420 feet, and they're hitting high fastballs, like actually fastballs that were not mistake pitches, that were intended to go up in the zone. So the the series loss sucks, but I'm kind of going into the next series feeling actually a lot better compared to last series.
1: The offense finally showing up, seeing some breakouts uh, from a couple of these guys, a few of the guys having numbers that look normal for them or, or starting to creep back up there I think is a good sign that game on Saturday was the first game all season that the Cubs had scored six or more runs, and they, you know, obviously blew the door off of that, ending up with 13. So that was nice to see. Hopefully, even though it it didn't continue on, on Sunday, where they, they score four in the finale loss to the Braves, while it didn't continue on Sunday, you kind of hope that we start to see a, uh, some more of those games where the offense really breaks out and uh, you feel that lineup is a little deeper. So... It's it's a similar story to uh, a lot of these episodes so far and and that's kind of the story with this team where there's some good stuff going on and you can look at a lot of these individual players or some of these individual players and like what you're seeing or like where things are trending and you know pretty much stating the obvious that the team is not as a whole in the place that you'd want them to be but it's still sort of the same story, Brendan, like the team is six and nine, and they find themselves in last place in the NL Central. But first place is nine and six. So uh, just through 15 games, that puts them three games out. So looking at the bigger picture, like they're, you know, right there in the thick of it. And it's, you know, again, to, to keep stating it, like they, they got to turn the offense on more, uh, more of a regular basis. And then you kind of would have to see what happens I think you know the starting pitching has been mostly good but we kind of expected that this staff was not going to be lights out every night you weren't going to be able to rely on that and we saw that in this brave series certainly not a a very good start from Zach Davies and uh, definitely you know not a good beginning certainly to his start with Kyle Hendricks on Sunday but for the most part you know the the starting staff has been pretty good but you need more consistency out of the offense, and obviously you need the team to find themselves in a more consistent spot.
0: given how we've seen some of the plate approaches in the last two games and you look at the plate discipline numbers from Rizzo and Bryant and Wilson, and those are your three guys in the middle of the order that are going to carry the offense. So if they're showing signs that they're going to be taking the pitches that are bad and hitting the pitches that are you know, good and hitting those mistake pitches like we saw in the last two games that I think that consistency has a better likelihood of happening. Is it going to get there? I don't know, but if anything you want to see those three guys show that consistency and that's the first time all year we've seen all three of
1: them at one time do that. So, we will get further into some of those individual performances and where we find ourselves after 15 games, but let's do a quick recap of this series with the Braves just to set the table. On Friday, it was a 5-2 to Braves win. Zach Davies taking the loss in this one, going four innings, seven hits, four earned, three walks, and one strikeout. Not a very good start from Zach there. Wilson Contreras homering in this game, his third of the season. And that's about, I think, all anybody really cares about in that game. On Saturday, the offensive explosion we've been waiting for from the Chicago Cubs as they win this one 13-4. Again, like I said, the first time all season, and unfortunately after Sunday, remaining the only time all season that the Cubs have scored six or more runs. But it was nice to see, at the very least, Contreras hits two home runs in this game. Javi Baez hits a home run in this game, and Chris Bryant Hits himself two home runs in this game. David Bodie also joining the party with a home run of his own. So very nice to see so many home runs in this game. And just to see uh, a a couple of big crooked numbers in this one. An inning where they score four runs, an inning where they score five runs, 14 total hits. Uh, Just nice to see that box score with a lot in the columns for the Chicago Cubs. Trevor Williams, a pretty solid start in this one, picking up his second win of the season. He goes five innings, four hits, one earned run, three walks, and four strikeouts. So a pretty solid outing for him. And solid outings from a few guys in the bullpen. Uh, Brandon Workman, Dan Winkler, and Jason Adam finishing out this game for the Cubs from the bullpen. And that was really the story. Again, just nice to see the offense breaking through, if only for one game for now. And then in the finale on Sunday Night Baseball, it was basically the reverse, literally the same score, uh, the Cubs winning on Saturday 13-4, to and then the Braves winning on Sunday 13-4. to And there was a note from Stats, Inc. that this is the second time in MLB history that back-to-back games in a series ended with the same 13-4 to score. The other back in 1936. So I don't know if anybody cares about that, but that's a pretty interesting stat, I suppose. And not a lot uh, to talk about in this one. It was a very rough beginning of this game for Kyle Hendricks. He gets touch-up for six runs in that first inning, his first start in uh, over 10 days after he was out with an illness. So certainly not the welcome back that he wanted. You combine a, a lack of command with the wind howling out at Wrigley and a guy who hasn't pitched in over a week, and this was the result. Four innings, seven hits, seven earned runs, three walks, two strikeouts and four home runs for the Atlanta Braves off of Kyle Hendricks, his second loss of the season. Alec Mills followed him and didn't really fare much better, uh, giving up three earned on five hits in just an inning of work. The offensive story in this one, though, Anthony Rizzo homers twice, which was nice to see, one to right field and one of the more opposite field variety. His numbers creeping back up there, so that's good to see. Jock Peterson also with a two-for-three game in this one. Javi Baez, two hits on Sunday as well. So some good things happening here on Sunday despite the overall lopsided score, and that was the series, Brendan. So, you know, you kind of had the the Cubs and Braves trade blowouts on Saturday and Sunday, and the beginning of this series on Friday was a a similar story that we had seen so far in some of the losses for the Cubs. Zach Davies, uh, not great, not a disaster of a start, but not a good one either. And, you know, the offense can't make up for it, only mustering two runs on Friday. So, kind of a, a similar series to those that we've seen before, except in this one we got a, a massive Cubs win. So I, I think that's, as we kind of said in the beginning, Brennan, that's really the takeaway. And I, I I think that, you know, for this team and for the expectations that we had for this team and what we just kind of knew about this team coming into the season— I, you know, sort of find myself in 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 a very similar spot to those series with the Pirates and and the Brewers. I'm not happy about the result. I, you know, there there's a lot that is particularly concerning or that, you know, you really want to see turned around quickly before it becomes concerning. But, you know, we knew that this team was not going to win 110 games. It was not going to be easy. And I think, you know, to find yourself uh, still in the thick of this division, you know, nobody is running away with this division in so much as you can run away with it in 15 games. I think the Cubs, you know, are in a decent spot if they can get certain things going. And, and whether that's going to happen and whether it's going to happen consistently is obviously something that remains to be seen. But I, I don't really find myself uh, freaking out or anything because, you know, this is this is sort of something to be expected with a team that had as much kind of variability in, in all of our projections for them. The, you, you, what you have to hope is that while this stretch has been a, obviously a bit of a slog, that they find themselves in a, a different kind of stretch coming soon where they're the ones winning those five to two games and scratching across the extra runs get more offensive performances like we saw on Saturday and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, maybe put together a nine and six stretch, right, coming up and you kind of balance it all out.
0: Yeah, well, the the extreme that we saw in the first 12 games was like uber extreme. And so we knew the team would be volatile, but to that degree was not settling. And to see them come out again in the last two games, give good plate approaches, you saw David Bodie, Slam two high fastballs, one of which was 99 miles per hour in that second game for a double. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need to see more of. And Brett Taylor kept in jest highlighting this over the last week uh, from Bleacher Nation that the Cubs were quite literally the worst team at hitting fastballs. And we talked about that on the last episode where they were just missing all their fastballs. So there's two sides of this. There's one side where they were not hitting fastballs and mistake fastballs. You saw Javi Baez, for example, whip through some 91-mile-per-hour pitches in the previous few games. But not only were they not hitting those mistake fastballs, they were not hitting even fastballs that pitchers were trying to throw in certain zones like those high end fastballs and you saw that you saw Bodie hit those you saw KB hit those you saw Wilson hit those and so that's that's what gives me a little bit more optimism going forward in the immediate future even though there's six and nine I, I get that that sucks but for the volatility to kind of reduce I don't think it's ever going to go away with this current squad. But we, if we want to minimize it a little bit, then we need to see signs like that. And we did see that for the first time this year.
1: Yeah, and I think you you really nailed it where I think what we were all hoping for, at least in terms of a baby step, was like, can we just not be the worst offense in the league I mean, that's by <laughs> such a, a wide margin? And, you know, even after the game on Sunday, the Cubs now find themselves at 23rd in the league in terms of uh, overall team ops which isn't good uh 23rd out of 30 teams but it's not dead last right so you know baby steps and again you know something to to remember too like the Braves have been a little dinged up and and they have not come out of the gate like they would want as well but the Braves are a, a top I would say what three team in the in the National League, yeah, I, you know, where everything shakes there, out. Sure. I'm not sure, but just in terms of what they've been doing in the last couple of years and their roster, like this is a very talented team. So losing two of three games to the Atlanta Braves in a vacuum is no there's there's no shame in that. You know, it's it's just a question of digging into exactly how the Cubs lost these games and everything that went on. But I, I think in terms of, again, keeping the relative expectations of this team in mind when I say all of this. It's early in the season. The division is still rather clustered, right? We haven't even seen everybody in the division yet, so long runway here to go, and it's just nice to see something from this offense, Brendan, and I I think that's where I'd like to start, I, I think hopefully we get to a point where there's just a lot of positives to talk about. Um but especially on today's episode, I, I don't think there's anything from the offensive struggles, you know, of some of these players that we haven't already touched on. Um, So I do want to continue to look at the positives and and the guys who are succeeding and playing well, because as we go forward here, if you want the wins and losses situation to turn around, these are the things that are going to be key to that happening. Uh, So I think Anthony had a big game on Sunday and that's one of those where, you know, he just needed a few of those, and you can kind of see his numbers creeping back up to where you would normally expect them to be for Anthony. Not all the way there yet, but you can see it happening, right? But the two guys I want to highlight, Brendan, because they have really paced this offense so far, and they're off to really good starts, is Wilson Contreras and Chris Bryant.
0: So let's start with Chris Bryant, because the last three years, he's given some some concern, a lot of it because of injuries to knees and ankles and hands and fingers. And so for the first time in a while, according to KB, he's he's fully healthy and we're seeing the results finally. So I was looking at some of the plate discipline numbers and contrasting them to previous years and so far to start the year, and it's it's early, but to start the year, these look like maybe the best play discipline numbers we've seen him throw up. And it's only been, you know, like, what, three weeks now? So we'll see if it lasts. But to my earlier point in the past episodes, these types of numbers, these play discipline numbers, they stabilize relatively quickly, around like 50 to 100 plate appearances for outside the zone rate, swing rate, contact rate, walk rate, that that type of stuff. So if you look at KB, his chase rate or outside the zone swing rate is right now at 20 and the average from year to year usually hits around 30%. So this is a huge, well, I guess, below league average, but in that sense, better than league average uh, number by KB here. So 20%, very good. And he's he's doing so with a contact rate of 75%. League average is 73.5%, 74%. So Chris Bryant is making more contact than your average hitter. This is a guy who came up several years ago now who was making well below league average contact. So it goes to show you just how much he's adjusted over the years. And he has an ISO, an isolated power of almost 400, Corey. So the balls that he is hitting, they're being smacked. They're being smacked to right field, to left field, over the wall. It's exactly what you want to see from you know your former MVP player. And to see him doing it now, early in the season that that should inspire hope for fans that should inspire you know hope for for you and I when we talk about this that's exactly what you want to see
1: yeah I think he looks normal and the it's it's early in this season so just like you know some of the guys that are struggling like you you can only read into this stuff so much but we've said for a long time that if he's healthy he's one of the best hitters in the league and that's not an opinion that's backed up by st- data, right? Like you can go and look at the numbers from 2015 and he just was. And when he wasn't performing at that level, it was always very easily tied to some verifiable injury or lingering injury or pain or whatever it was, right? And, you know, you can have your opinions on on that portion of it, right? You know, in terms of if you think he's injury prone or anything like that, Um, You know, that's a a separate discussion. I wouldn't agree with you. Uh, Injuries happen. He's a human being. But what you can't dispute is when he's healthy, he's one of the best hitters in the league. And he looks healthy right now. And the numbers are bearing that out. And he's got five home runs already, which is more than he hit in the 2020 season total. He hit four in the 2020 season. Um, You know, so that's obviously a, a, you know, a low bar. He wasn't good in 2020 but I I think it's pretty simple with Chris, right? Like, when he's healthy, he's able to perform like this, and he looks like he is healthy. Like you said, everything we've heard from him, the team, his camp, is that he feels good, he's healthy, and I think we're we're seeing the results of that on the field. He exits Sunday's game with an OPS of... uh, 1,015, which is a single point higher Pretty than good. Wilson Contreras for the highest on the team. So the two of them doing quite well for themselves. And like you said, you know, you look at Chris's plate discipline numbers and everything, like he just looks good. And, and you know, the the home runs on Saturday too, like I feel like in in the times where he w- clearly wasn't right, where you could tell that, you know, whether it was the shoulder or the wrist, the finger the knee, I, I mean, really every body part this guy has uh, dealt with an injury unfortunately unfortunately. unfortunately. But you could just see, kind of like we're seeing with a a good number of the guys on the team as a whole, he would get those mistake pitches and just not be able to do anything with them. And uh, especially going back to his minor league career or his early career with the Cubs starting in 2015, those were pitches he was killing, right? And on Saturday, you know, you saw him like getting those mistake pitches in the zone and clobbering them. He looks like Chris Bryant to me, And a lot of us that, you know, have been on Cubs Twitter, you know, Evan Altman is one of these guys who has just been relentlessly defending Chris Bryant uh, and just trying to explain to people like, look, when he's not performing, he's been hurt. If you don't believe that or you don't care about that or you have like that's we can't convince you on that. But just believe us that if he's healthy, he's going to be really good. Mm -hmm. And that is what we have seen to start this season, Brendan. Over the years, a lot of these Cubs
0: hitters have been t- have been attacked up in the zone, and especially up and in. And KB has been one of the main players to be attacked that way. And that was a lot of the reasons why he struggled with those injuries, because he just couldn't turn on those high fastballs. And if we see how he's attacking those pitches now, and by the way, in that Saturday game where he had two home runs, where did they come against? High fastballs. One of them was almost literally almost going to hit his hands. And if you look at what he's doing this year, you can see a slight difference. So his, his hand placement, his trigger, is a little bit higher, and his posture might be a little bit higher. And that might be allowing him to get to those up-and-in fastballs. And there was a point in 2019 when he was healthy that if you go and track his exit velo against up-and-in pitches you can see that it was a lot better than in 2018. And unfortunately in 2020 with COVID and injuries and all that stuff, it was just a complete nightmare for him. So I was hoping last year before COVID happened that he would go into 2020 and he would continue to show some of those positive trends when he was healthy. Now he's healthy, it's 2021, he's adapted even more. And hopefully as the year goes on, pitchers will have to change how they attack KB if KB can take away that up and in fastball that's going to be a huge problem for pitchers and that's going to probably allow KB to continue to put up all these you know pretty gaudy numbers here and if that's the case you're looking at you know one of the better players in the league that we've talked about for almost six years now
1: especially to how we looked at this offense and how we looked at this team coming into the season you obviously still need the rest of this lineup not everybody but a lot of this lineup to Get it together and and put up better performances and things like that, but we talked a lot about how the the keys to this season would be what you saw from Javi Baez and Chris Bryant, and Javi's a, a very mixed bag, right? He's he's sort of a separate case at the moment. Um, did slug a little this weekend, which is what he needs to do with the the contact numbers and stuff like that. But he's a separate discussion. On Chris, though, if The rest of the lineup, even some of the guys, start to get back towards their regular numbers like we saw with Rizzo on Sunday— in keeping with what Wilson is doing. And if you're getting this type of performance, now, you know, obviously you don't have to hold KB to an OPS over 1,000 for the entire year. He's capable of doing it, but you don't have to necessarily expect that. As long as he looks like himself, if you can get some of these guys in this offense to get their numbers in that right direction, especially some of the guys, you know, someone like Ian Happ, who the underlying stuff looks pretty good, The results just aren't bearing out on the field. You know, you saw that uh, deep fly ball he hit early in the game on Sunday that I think had an expected batting average of over 500. It's normally very much a home run, but it just didn't get out tonight. Someone like him, where the underlying stuff looks pretty good, you just need to get the hits falling, maybe a little bit better luck, etc. Chris Bryant being Chris Bryant in the middle of this order is really, really crucial to this team eventually— Performing better on the whole. As always, I don't know what the trade deadline plans are going to be. I don't know how a lot of this is going to play out. But if you're looking at we're 15 games into this season, we've got a ton of baseball left to be played. If this is the type of performance, even anywhere near this, that you're going to see from Chris Bryant, this offense does have the potential to come around in the way that we would like it to. It's still going to be inconsistent. We know this, right? We know the flaws and the sort of hot stretches, the boomer bust nature that you're going to see from this offense sometimes. But if you can get KB to perform like this in the middle of this order, then this offense overall has so much greater of a potential to be an offense that is part of a team that is successful in this NL Central division, and ultimately by the end of the season, if all stays the same, competing for this division title.
0: Yeah, and combine that with what we're seeing from Wilson Contreras for a second. So so Wilson, he, he's he's I mean, raising some eyebrows with his offensive performance. And we, we knew the power was there, right? Like we always knew Wilson could have a thirty plus homer season. Um of course he's on pace for that now, but he's turning into a more complete hitter. And we'll see if this continues, even though these numbers stabilize, like the play discipline, they all stabilize. It doesn't mean that pitchers can't adapt, and then Wilson will have to adapt accordingly. So this is assuming, like, we can assume that Wilson's good chase rate and his ability to lay off pitches, we can assume that continues to go forward if Pitchers don't adapt, and we know this league, within the last three, four years, they adapt insanely fast. There's this advantage for pitchers because of all the new tech these days. So we'll see if it continues, but that being said, Wilson's only swinging at pitches outside the zone at a 20% clip. Same exact thing as Chris Bryant. And that number, that 20% number is what we saw from Dexter Fowler in 2016 when he was a leadoff hitter. So just to provide some context, that's the degree to which these guys are not swinging at bad pitches. How did that
1: team do, Brendan?
0: They won the World Series Corey. if you remember. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Some people forget that. Last year, he was swinging at pitches outside the zone around 32% of the time, which is actually his career rate. So Career rate around 32%, this year 20%. It's a huge, huge, huge difference. And one reason why, apparently, and this is according to the Cubs who actually said this, He changed his posture at The Dish, and we've highlighted over the years, I think I've highlighted this. uh, Wilson's gone through a few different iterations in his batting stance. If you look at how he was called up, a little bit more of an open stance, and then within the first two years, through 2018, he implemented this toe tap, this like Sammy Sosa-esque toe tap, which was, I, I thought, pretty cool, and it worked for him at times. The toe tap is now gone. The posture is more upright, and he's seeing all these pitches extremely well. That one home run he hit on Saturday to the opposite field, that breaking pitch, that shows that he's locked in. And there are some great slow-mo videos of Wilson hitting those balls, and he is just on them, dude. Like His eyes are just directly on that baseball, and you can tell he's locked in. And now looking at these expected numbers from Wilson so far, his expected weighted on base average, 95th percentile. Barrel percentage, 96th percentile. Uh, Expected slugging percentage, 93rd percentile. All of these numbers that you want to see Wilson put up are exceeding your expectations. Of course, you want to see Wilson put up good numbers, but he's putting up numbers among the best hitters in Major League Baseball. I mean, this is like truly MVP as performances. And then you look at the frame rate, you look at the the arm. I mean, if this continues, and it's not fair to expect this con- the, for this to continue. But if it does, you're looking at an MVP player, dude. Like this is, this is what it looks like. You're looking at a guy who can't, who's not going to strike out much, who's going to just throw out every runner he's going to frame well he's going to call good games he's going to bring the the attitude the leadership the charisma like like this is what people look for in, in mvp players and he's playing like one right now
1: yeah he's been one of those guys i think if you go back to some of our prediction episodes coming out of spring training and stuff over the years he He's been a frequent pick of ours and and whoever we were talking to at the time to be that m v p and and kind of have that season and it hadn't really happened yet and again you know we're we're early in this season, but he's one of those guys where you kind of always knew and felt that that potential was there and you know, there's been different reasons that some of his his seasons have not been complete, right? You know, he's had injuries at times. He's had stretches where, you know, his offense just sort of torpedoed. Uh, I think it was in 2018, maybe, where like in that second half, you know, he just started rolling over to short like all the time. Um so there there's been different reasons that it just, you know, hasn't been like that full season, but you 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 knew that that potential was there. And so we'll see what happens in this one, you know, there there's there's also, you know, we've talked about before where he catches so much, he has so much energy out there. He tries to, you know, basically Make every play himself if he can and you know there is sort of a a concern about you know does he wear down right because he is so dialed in all the time you know he's playing at an 11 every second that he's out there and I'm I'm sure of it that he would catch 162 games if David Ross would let him so you know we'll see how 2021 plays out but he's one of those guys where when you see him start like this, you see him improve those framing numbers, you see him still throwing guys out, and you see him putting it together like this on offense, you're not surprised. You're like, yeah, no, like, I've kind of always expected that this was in him, and uh, I obviously I certainly hope that he's able to continue it. But again, you know, similar to the way KB has started, like, you're just seeing a lot of things that you know are in these guys and and that they have the potential to be doing and it's good to see them translating that on the field especially as uh, a good portion of this lineup is is struggling as it is so we'll see what Wilson's yeah. able to do over the course of this full season but it, it's it sounds obvious to say but it's important going forward that Contreras and Bryant look like this they've been hitting 2 and 4 for the majority of this season and you know a lot of the offense is built around them so it's it's obvious in that regard that going forward having them playing like this is what you would want to see if you were hoping that this offense was going to come together at some point. But it's even more important when you try to consider where this team would be if they both didn't have an OPS north of 1,000 at this moment and both hadn't hit five home runs, uh, you know, a couple of them in, in really significant moments for each of them. So I think it goes without saying that like this six and nine start might not be a six and nine start if KB and Wilson had also gone the way of a lot of this lineup and struggled so mightily out of the gate. You know I don't want to talk about it, but
0: there is some degree where you need Chris to start off hot like we are right now, and we'll see how the team looks in the next month or so. But that does have value to. You know, trade deadline discussions, as you, as you talked about, Corey. And there is there is a degree of value beyond just 2021, as sure. you're just mentioning. And also, kind of in that vein, um, you know, in terms of having his team come off with a hot start, D- David Bodie is showing some signs that maybe, you know, some of the numbers we're seeing are not what should be happening. And I bring this up because I'm like... Honestly, I can't watch Eric Sogard play baseball on this yeah. team anymore, Corey. And i i just don't I just don't like watching him play baseball. That's what it comes down to. Um, he's not he a looks, good baseball player. So he's shouldn't. not a good baseball player. And we talk about volatility. Uh, statistically speaking, he's been one of the most year to year volatile players in the past five years. So if we're looking for consistency. Uh, I, I don't know if you can expect that from Sogard. So you have a few options. You can just say goodbye to him and. Bring up Vargas, or you can say goodbye to him and bring up Nico. And Nico's now your starting second baseman. Uh, the other option is you can see how Bodie continues to play, given the majority of the plate appearances, and hope that some of the expected numbers we see actually yield runs. And so, if we look at the like underlying peripherals, like can he hit fastballs? Can he hit, you know, breaking pitches? And if he's doing so, what are your expected run values based off that? And for Bodie right now, his, I mean, almost all of his numbers, his expected weight on base average is in the 60th percentile, his average exit is in the 75th percentile, barrel percentage, 70th percentile. So, so this is showing that he's been above league average um, in, in most of these underlying stack cast-centered hitting numbers. One other feature of Bodie that I kind of like seeing, but I'm a little confused by it, is he's not striking out that much. So his his K rate right now and granted this is in 40 plate appearances but his k rate is 18 percent and i don't think that will last just because his contact rate is no different than last year Around seventy two percent and he struck out last year at a twenty eight percent clip. And so typically with these types of contact rates which are below league average, you're gonna get a K rate around twenty three or twenty five percent, you know, in terms of like correlating those two numbers. Uh so David probably should strike out more, but it's such a small sample that maybe that's it's suggesting that he's laying off pitches on two strikes in a good way. So maybe that will continue going forward. So I this is all to say, like I'm intrigued by Bodie. I've always been intrigued by Bodie. I don't really think it's fair to look at his numbers, which right now stand at an 87 WRC+, plus batting 171 with two home runs. I don't think it's fair to be like, hey, he's he's sucking, he's going to continue to suck. I think there's reason to believe that if you give him more opportunities, especially right now in place of Sogard, that we're going to see more runs faster. I cannot, I'm telling you, Corey, if I see Sogard in that lineup starting twice this week, I'm going to lose my mind. I cannot watch this guy play. And I need to see more of Bodie. And I think it informs your direction with what to do with Nico. Because if there is service time Implications, which there might be, we we don't know. We're guessing there's really not, but if there is, we're approaching that six week time when Nico is going to get that extra year before he hits free agency. So that's coming up now within the next two and a half, three and a half weeks. Wherever we are in that range, it's going to come up before mid-May. And so you got to know if you bring up Nico, what do you have out of Bodie? I don't care about Sogard, so we need to see Bodie. In my opinion, get more get more at bats, but who knows what will happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I was already done with Sogard the minute they signed him. You guys know that if you've been listening to us. I preempted before he even set foot on the field for practice or a game with the Cubs that I didn't like it, and I knew what they were going to do, right? And I, because the offense has struggled so much on the whole, like on Friday— Sogar drives in a run with a sack fly because he makes more contact, and I, I get it, right? Because the Cubs are having so much trouble with pitches in the zone, their, their, their numbers in that regard are so weird that I get why you would be like, look, we just want somebody to make some contact in this game. But that was also exactly what I told you guys. I was worried about. Right? He sucks, Corey. He Eric sucks. Sogard isn't good. He's got a he minus makes contact, fifteen WRC plus awful contact. Yeah. And he like right now he's got a three forty two OPS. Right. <laughs> Which is way worse than any of these other. Like you know you think like some of these other guys are struggling. That's not even close. And so again, this this sort of criticism feels maybe weirder or whatever, because the offense on the whole has not been good. And you can kind of understand in a vacuum, like why they would want more contact, but it's not good contact. And like you said, he's a, he's been an extremely volatile hitter throughout his career. and And so many of his career numbers are buoyed by an obvious outlier of a season in which he was hitting way more home runs than he ever had before and is obviously not who he is right and so I'm I'm with you like Bodie has gotten the majority of the starts but they said this was Bodie's job and for my I mean, money Sogard has gotten too many starts for that 27 to
0: be plate appearances through Sunday's game Corey 27 yeah. Bodie has
1: 38 it, so... it, it, it when it's that close that's not what you said right? Mm-hmm. Like, what you said was David Bodie was the starter, and I agree with you, Brendan. Like, as you're thinking about what you might want to be doing with Nico, you should have gotten to a point where you figured out what you have or think of David Bodie, and it's not that long of a time, you know, it's not going to be a huge sample to figure that out, but I, I think, for me, when the offense is struggling like this, I understand, again, conceptually, why they would say let's get a guy that makes more contact in there just to balance out what's going out. But to me, you just you gave Bodie the job and Bodie obviously has the higher ceiling. Go for the higher ceiling. Eric Sogard does not have a high ceiling, right? He's just not good. He makes a bunch of weak, soft, loser contact, all right? It it just there there's no ceiling there, right? You've got to be playing the guys with the higher ceiling. Go for—shoot for the moon, right? Mm. If there's struggles, there's struggles. But you know if David Bodie puts together some of the stuff that we've seen, he's a much more valuable player than Eric Sogard would ever be. Right, mm. so I'm. Um, I'm. I Look, I, I've been on this since day one, and and I I do want to clarify and kind of what I was saying, where it's weird to you know sort of talk about this when a lot of the offense as a whole has struggled. Obviously, Eric Sogard is not the problem with this offense. Obviously, there's bigger fish to fry, and it it, it it's not about Eric Sogard, but. That's That almost annoys me more, right? Where it's like, yeah, so just play the guy with the higher ceiling. Play the guy that you have years of control on that you might believe can turn into something rather than deferring to a guy that makes contact, but it's bad contact. So, yeah, you and I are on the same page. I think we've been on the same page since day one. There, there's just not a high ceiling there. It's a low percentage yeah. play to be putting Sogard out there just to see if he can make more contact. I get it. When the, when the offense has been so volatile, I understand sort of the general line of thinking there. But if I'm being like really blunt, Eric Sogard sucks. And they should not be giving him plate appearances. If you want the offense to turn it around, give those opportunities to guys that you believe can hit a higher ceiling and can actually turn into something, not a guy. It's like, oh, thank God he had a sack fly. I mean, is that where we are right now? The <laughs> offense sure. has been bad. But, like, y- you know, you criticize someone like Sogren, and they're like, well, he's the only guy that drove in a run on Friday or whatever. Congratulations. He had a fly ball to the outfield. That That's not. That's not good enough. That We need to hold everybody to a higher standard, right? Like, of course, everybody else needs to be better. But you got to stop doing that. <laughs> like, yeah. I was mad about this the minute they signed him. Like, he's hit second in some of these games. Like That's crazy, man. I mean, that, that's just... That's awful process, frankly. So Sogard has a
0: WRC plus of minus 15, Corey. Not... not I mean, not 15. Minus 15. And if the intent... For this season is to see what we have for the future, then why is Sogard even getting 27 right. plate appearances? Okay. So I was okay with having sogard on the roster at the start of the year I was not thrilled about it but it was under the assumption as you just highlighted that Bodie would be getting the majority of the played appearances and he has got he's gotten you know the majority but not the overwhelming majority and just again to, to point this out because it is significant for me as I try to figure out you know what are we looking at Bodie, against high fastballs from 2018 when he debuted has been an issue for him. He's tried so many different things to try to hit high fastballs. He's changed his batting stance multiple times. It has not worked. And in against fastballs thrown with velocity greater than 98 miles per hour in the upper portion of the zone, Corey, every time he swung at those pitches, I kid you not, like on two strikes, he struck out in his career every single time. Now, in the in the Saturday game, he had a 99 mile per hour pitch up in the zone He did not strike out. What did he do? He hit a scorching double, 112 miles per hour of exit velocity. So you have a few weeks to figure out what you have in Bodie, in in my opinion, because if the offense continues to slump like this, and if you're saying to your team, we're going to try to win games, Nico has to be up. There's no other excuse for him not to be up in three weeks if this offense continues to struggle. And if you're going to make that decision, for me, and I feel like even for the front office and for this for this entire you know roster and David Ross, you need to know what you have in Bodie, and we're already running short on time. I swear to God, Corey, I don't, I don't want to say that ever again. If Sogar's in that lineup, I'm going to lose my mind. The next episode is not going to be a good episode. We got it. We got to get beyond this this like stopgap. Yeah. Uh, mindset. I'm sick of these stopgap players. Let Bodie play every single day. Sogar can go into the game
1: when the, when it's a mop up duty when you need an a bunt pinch run. Well, and and you know this is something that we've seen a little bit from this organization throughout the years where they seem to defer it. It, it usually happened in the bullpen. I know Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation was always really annoyed about this, uh, where they would ge- they would seem to defer to giving opportunities to reclamation projects or veterans that hadn't been successful in a couple years instead of their own guys, right? And sometimes that's the right move, sometimes it's not, but this is, you know, sort of a position player version of that. Like, I don't think Sogard's helping you for the present, and I don't think he's helping you for the future. So again, as I worried about in the first place, you're selling out just because he makes contact, which as you said, as a bench guy and in certain spots can be valuable, right? Like, of course you need guys to make contact situationally and stuff like that. I'm not saying that stuff is invaluable, but there's just you're looking at Sogard throughout his career and it's just not someone you should be banking on, Uh, you know, especially when you have someone who's younger and someone who you've given a contract extension to and someone in the minors who you're hoping is your future second baseman. Uh, I don't know the right answer with Nico, but overall, right? Like you just shouldn't be giving playing time to Eric Sogard. I mean, I think Vargas is a much more interesting person to be giving playing time to again just because you you if if you're not selling out for 2021 you might as well be figuring out what you have in some of these guys and seeing if guys can reach a potential that perhaps you didn't know was there or that they hadn't unearthed yet right like that's not going to happen with 34 whatever he is 35 year old eric sogard who's not really good so yeah Brendan and I, we don't have strong opinions on this, if you guys can't tell, but enough (laughs) of that. So continuing on the offense, uh, I do just want to point out You know, obviously, with those two homers uh, on Sunday from Rizzo, just nice to see those numbers creeping back to a good spot. He leaves Sunday's game with a about a thirteen percent walk rate and a uh, fifteen percent K rate. Those numbers, you know, very similar to numbers you've seen him post throughout his career. But now with those couple homers, some nice offensive games. Up to a 363 weighted on base average, a 126 WRC plus. Again, remember 100 is league average, so he's a good bit above that. And he was one of those guys where when you dug under the hood at the discipline stuff, the you know chase rates out of the zone, the swing rates in the zone, contact rate, things like that, everything looked normal for Anthony. He's notoriously not at his best in April and you know i think the the barrel numbers the weren't where you wanted but like he was one of those guys when we talked last episode everything looked right and it seemed like just a matter of time before the overall numbers and production bared that out and it, we're not you know we're 15 games into the season so we're not done here but Good to see those numbers start to match what you would expect from him because it felt like he should be there, right? Everybody on this team has been different, but he wasn't one of those guys where it was like, whoa, like something is wrong here. Like he looked normal and you felt like these numbers deserved to be more in line with who we know Anthony Rizzo is. And so after this series, he is starting to creep back to that point. One other guy I want to mention on offense I don't have any more to dig into the overall sort of weirdness that is Javi Baez right now because the walk rate, the K rate, the you know missing pitches in the zone, things like that, it's all still happening, right? But I do just want to note that he did slug this weekend, right? He, he had a home run, had uh, a double in the game on Sunday. And the reason I just want to point that out is because now he leaves that game with a 97 WRC plus so just three points below league average obviously he'd want to be better than that uh you'd all want him to be better than that it was at 131 for instance in 2018 when he almost won an MVP but with his defense with his base running that is not a disaster of a line. And that, I think, is why we actually highlight some of those extreme numbers his walk rate, his K rate, his chase rate. And you know, why so many people will highlight when he's swinging at crazy pitches and things like that, because it, he is able, with the ability to slug like he does, even when his numbers are so volatile, like they've been to start this year, to, to produce on an offensive level, near league average, which is where he is right now. So that is why we and so many other people, right, hammer home some of those wild discipline numbers because if he's able to rein that stuff in, if he's able to make those adjustments, maybe shorten up the stroke in certain spots, whatever it is, right— It's very easy to see how he is is back to being such a massive producer because even as volatile as it has been, Brendan, he is near a league average hitter right now, which if you looked at some of those at-bats and played appearances individually, you would think was insane. Mm-hmm. But he obviously has the ability to slug and produce. He just has to find a way to rein in some of that wild, wild discipline stuff. I don't know if he will. I don't know the mechanism that is causing it or has caused it to be so extreme going back to 2020, but it's, it's tantalizing to look at some of that stuff and just say, man, if he can just calm it down a little bit right? Shorten up a little bit, maybe sell out for contact a little bit in some of these spots. It's right there for him.
0: My concern is we've gotten to a point for his age, for where this league is, that it's going to be more challenging for Javi to adapt again. And I know his numbers are league average. It's, it's, it's early in the season. It's very volatile. The home run he hits on Saturday was a cement mixer 87-mile-per-hour slider up in the zone. He should be hitting those, and you want him to hit those. I mean, did, I mean, give him credit for hitting that. I'm not saying not to, but we're still seeing a lot of the same bad habits, and if we're talking about Javi in the context of trade value or contract extensions that's different than talking about Javi in the context of 2021. Sure. If he's gonna do this and be a league average hitter with plus plus defense, sign me up, man. I'm all about that in 2021. It's gonna give me some anxiety because of that K rate being 50%. But if you're gonna be league average offensively and being this like go glove shortstop, I love that. Sign me up for it. I'm not gonna give you 150 million or 180 million, which is supposedly what he rejected as a contract offer. Who knows if that's true or not, but that's what they say. Then it's a completely different discussion. But for now, sure, I'm I'm cool with it. I guess. Do you, like, do you see my point here? It's no it's totally because yeah, like I do want to see Javi be. This is fine right now, right? But I, I we know he can be better, and we know that he wants a contract extension. And I can't stop thinking about that.
1: Yeah. No. I. I. I think the the sort of macro and micro conversations on a lot of these guys are are different right like you know looking at 2021 looking at beyond everything right there's a lot of nuance to these conversations I just thought it was worthwhile um yeah you know to point out that For someone who uh, I think has has looked, you know, had some really ugly plate appearances and who has certainly become a very big point of discussion on Cubs Twitter and in, uh, you know, I saw everybody blogging about Javi, everybody writing about Javi in the newspapers, The Athletic, everywhere. He's just one of those unique guys that as bad as it can look, at times when he's like this— there, there he is, right? Hits a couple homers, rips a couple doubles, and all of a sudden, like his numbers are league average in terms of overall production. So, I, he he's, it's just, uh, I think it's only fair to sort of highlight that because that is why, you know, I, I said this in the last episode. The reason we focus on Javi and the reason we're talking about Javi right now instead of, say, someone like Jock or Jason Hayward is because the, this the, the team doesn't run through those guys, right? We talk so much about Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, and KB, to start, has been doing his thing, right? He's He's been holding up his end of the bargain, and Javi's been all over the place. But there's a reason that we talk about Javi in that way and and not some other guys It's because Javi's Javi right and so I just it's just interesting to keep an eye on because it's it's and it's also just sort of fascinating from a a baseball perspective especially if you're into these more advanced you know run production stats and stuff that he's he's one of those guys where this stuff fluctuates so wildly and it's uh sort of fascinating to watch I I wish my mental and emotional health weren't tied to it Brendan it it would be maybe more interesting uh if he were on uh, it like a different, you know, if I was looking at someone on a different team, but uh, it's just it's just wild to to see how, how much those things fluctuate. But um, before we get into the series preview here, I I did just want to ask uh, anything in particular that you saw from these starters uh, over the course of this week, and mm-hmm. I think with Hendricks, you know, look, I, I don't know how many times I have to say this with him, like he he's Kyle Hendricks, he'll be fine not a good start, right? There's no way to sugarcoat this. And I'm sure he was very displeased with this outing. He got rocked, right? He got lit up on Sunday Night Baseball on national TV. Not great. Um, But he's going to have those outings, right? Coming off of being sick, um, didn't have the command that he needs, especially against a lineup like this. You, you know, the Braves lineup is one that you cannot make those mistakes against. They have sluggers up and down that lineup. You just, you can't be leaking so much over the middle of the plate. They're going to kill it like they did. Wind was blowing out. Just not great. It happens, whatever. So I don't know, you know, uh, especially on Hendricks, I, I, I don't know if you have much to add, but I, but I am curious uh, if if anything, uh, what you saw from Trevor Williams on Saturday, and then Zach Davies on Friday.
0: Zach Davies' command extremely leaky. Kyle Hendricks' stuff looked good at times, uh, inconsistent in that Sunday Star command extremely leaky. Uh, similar story to Davies, just you know, not as dramatic as a, a command issue. I'm I'm not worried about Kyle. I think you said it earlier when you were doing the series. Uh, recap you know he hasn't pitched in over a week he came off from being sick Uh, it's 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 difficult to come back and be in like prime shape, but he was throwing 86, 87, 88. The changeup was at 80 miles per hour. Many of the times when that changeup's set at 80 miles per hour, to me, the signals that his mechanics are locked in. And so if it was at 77, 78, I'd be more like, Oh, I don't know about this, but I think Kyle is fine. Give him one more start, two more starts. You're going to see those numbers start to normalize Davies. I don't know. Uh, it's been multiple starts now. I don't, I'm not familiar with the guy that much. Um, We'll see what happens. I'm optimistic given what we've seen over the years with Davies and especially with the changes he made last year. Uh but we'll we'll see what happens. Williams I thought looked really good again came off rebounded off a tough start previously so that was good to see. His entire pitch arsenal is so fascinating right now. So in 2019 he threw almost no curveballs. You know, under 1% of his pitch repertoire was curveballs, under 1%. In 2020, in that COVID season, he spiked it up to 7%. So he basically implemented a new pitch last year. This year, it's at 14%. So he's doubled his usage of the curveball from last year and basically used this new pitch that he started using last year. During spring, he talked about how he's trying, and this is from his own tweets, 10 different curveball pitch grips. And so to see him use more curveballs now to start the season kind of validates that progress and that type of work he was putting in during spring training on that curveball. And the Cubs have had really good success on curveballs within the last two years. Uh, The most prominent example is probably Rowan Wick, who started using that spike grip curveball. Another example is getting Craig Kimbrell's curveball back into shape and then Hugh Darvish when he's on the Cubs. I missed a guy so much, but he—I mean he's an outlier, so it's not fair to talk about him in this context. But he did start throwing a knuckle curveball as well. So the Cubs have had success either getting guys and their curveballs back or trying to change things with their existing curveball. would be kind of cool to see Abra al kind of follow that same trend eventually, but that's a different conversation. But at least for Trevor Williams, 14% curveball usage, his slider usage actually is going down this year. And I did not anticipate that happening. I thought maybe they would actually use that slider and tweak things around. But instead of tweaking that pitch around, it looks like they're tweaking around that curveball. So that's, that's like the intervention target, I guess, if you will. And looking at how he's throwing his fastball, most of his fastball guys are up in the zone. I mean, his four is being thrown almost exclusively up in the zone, and his sinker is not being thrown lower in the zone. It's kind of being thrown like in on the hips to right-handers with that tailing action. And he's actually he's he's throwing sinkers up in the zone as well, which is another trend. I think you know every other episode I talk about this, but high sinkers has been like the Cubs' dogma. I feel like by Tommy Hydey over the past two years now. So Williams is basically following. Every single hope we uh, we wanted to see from Tommy Otavi and this pitching development staff to to get Williams to that next level, and we're seeing it. You know, we'll see how it continues to work. But from my eyes, Washington pitch has been fun. I'm confident in his stuff, and going forward, seeing that curveball continue to play well, seeing that fastball continue to have life up in his own 92 93 94 reaching 95 if he's really gassing it like that's what you want to see from a guy who's only making two and a half million dollars this year right. and if he continues to do that i mean this is a good extension candidate guy he has one more year of team control which i love to see but if you're trying to lock up guys for cost controllable years Williams has never been injured. He's had three-plus years of being a consistent guy with 28-plus stars or whatever it is, 25-plus stars, whatever it ends up being. Point being, he's been a starter in the rotation consistently for teams. This is someone who could be a candidate, and it's early in the season. I'm just getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I am getting excited watching how he's
1: using new pitches. Well, and I think he's one of those guys, too, where it's, it's put very simply and... It, 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 You know, it's certainly not an advanced way of looking at everything that he's doing, a lot of which you are taking care of, Brendan. But like two of his three outings, right, his first one against the Brewers on April 5th and then this one against the Braves on April 17th, both kept the team in the game. They gave the offense yeah. a chance to win. And and for me, when we're ta- especially, you know, within the context of this team in this particular year, but when we're talking about your you know, whatever you want to call him, the number four or number five starter, it it doesn't matter. But he's a back end starter for this team right now. Two of the three starts. Kept the offense in the game. One of them gave up two earned runs. One of them gave up one. Obviously, that return start to Pittsburgh was no good. But again, this is a, a back end of your rotation guy. Like, you're, you're not expecting him to go out and be lights out every time. If he's going out there and giving your offense a chance to win the game, so far, two out of the three starts, that's fine by me. You know, and with with anything else, with a new guy that's you know still relatively new to the organization, he's still going to be working with Tommy Hotovy and working on these new pitches and making adjustments. And so, I think the hope would be that the best has certainly not come for him yet, and that he's still developing some of this stuff, still working on some of this stuff, and they're going to hone in as the year goes on. But two out of three times, keeping the offense in the game, giving the Cubs a chance to win, I think again for someone who you're you're not paying very much money and who's at the back end of your rotation, I think that totally works for me.
0: Yeah. All right, so let's preview this upcoming series against the New York Mets. So the Cubs do have an off day on Monday when you're listening to this episode, but they'll be back at Wrigley on Tuesday to start this three-game set, and we have Jake Arietta on the mound for the Cubs on the year. He's 2-1 with a 3.18 ERA He'll be facing Taiwan Walker for the Mets. Taiwan Walker coming back from multiple arm injuries. was actually a candidate for the Cubs in the offseason. Uh, most recently, Timon Walker was on the D-backs, had Tommy John surgery, came up uh, with the Seattle Mariners way back then. So that game, again, starts at 6.40 p.m. Central. Then on Wednesday, we have David Peterson on the mound for the Mets starting this game at 6.40 p.m. Central again. He's 1-1 one one on the year with a 6.3 ERA. He'll be facing Zach Davies, who's 1-2 with a 10.32 ERA. David Peterson's a lefty 25 years old uh, look for those high fastballs up and into lefty so I'm looking at a spray chart he's only thrown six fastballs on the year up and into right-handed batters and he only has actually has no strikeouts on up and in fastballs to right-handed batters so that means I'm looking at guys like Wilson and KB and even Javi as guys who could really do well against a pitcher like David Peterson we'll see what happens finished off this three game set we have unfortunately uh de on the mound for the mets Oof. that could be a <laughs> that could be a bad one Corey. um yeah de you know one of the best pitchers i think we've you know seen in our in our lives so we'll see how this cubs line up who i mean it's, it's scary to even think about but he'll be facing uh Trevor Williams, 2-1, 5.02 year rate. DeGrom just to give his line is 1-1 with a 0.45 year rate. That game's also a night game. It's 6.40 p.m. Central start time. I don't know why they're doing that because they have to go. Oh, they're still at Wrigley on Friday for an afternoon game. That's why it's a night game. So the Mets on the year, 7-4, Cubs, 6-9, Mets. Have that strong pitching staff, man. Even David Peterson has good stuff. So I think from what we're looking for, what I'm looking for this series – survive against DeGrom, don't get a perfect game thrown against, but truthfully speaking, continuing to see the Cubs hit high fastballs. Uh, I know that's been a point of emphasis by, by me and by you, Corey, but what we saw against Atlanta was like, like legitimately the first sign in a while where I feel like progress was made for, for
1: once. We saw the results because of it. So I want to see that continue. Yeah, I mean, look the the Degrom game. I think it would be one of those baseball things, like that the Cubs' offense would struggle so much, and maybe they would do work Just against Degrom. But he's <laughs> yeah. so good that I don't even think you can. I don't even know if you can joke or think like that. He's just that good. Um, so we'll see. Often in those games, though, the Mets don't give him any run support. It's one of those things, like laughably so, if you go and look at those numbers. So keep it close and see what you can do. Um, that's that's one of those where you need Trevor to, to really keep you in the game there, because the Mets just have an inability to score runs when Jacob deGrom starts. So Trevor's going to need to be good on on that, in that finale. But it's, you know, really, it's still just about the offense. Again, we, we know kind of who this pitching staff is, and, it, and it's not going to be perfect all the time. But I, I think generally we, we kind of know what we're getting there. It's about the offense. You know, Wilson, KB, Rizzo, you know, really uh, kind of coming into their own, putting up uh, better numbers as we go along here, especially Wilson and KB who are, you know, just sort of going off at the moment. If I were looking at one particular player, though, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see a, a big series from Hap. Just because I think you know his OPS after that game on Sunday is five forty, and that he just he doesn't deserve that. Um, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to think that he's gotten so unlucky or anything like that, but his, his, his approach, the, the, the way that he's put the barrel on the ball throughout this season, he, he deserves better than a 540 OPS. And he's just one of those guys who I, I think would deserve to have a big series where he, you know, boosts those numbers a little bit, because I, I think he's one in particular where, his line doesn't look good, but I don't think that matches uh, what he necessarily deserves or, or what we've actually seen from him at the plate. So if I were looking at one guy, I, I hope that Ian has has a good series because I, I think he deserves a little better than his line is bearing out right now. But it's, you know, again, it's it, especially in this early portion of the season, it's all about the offense. We saw a little glimpse of it, right? A very nice glimpse on Saturday, and you just want to see more of it. it it's 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 a it's a portion of the season and kind of a narrative with this team that it feels very obvious to state but that's that's where things are right as we said like this team is 6 and 9 but the leader in the division is the Cincinnati Reds at 9 and 6 and that's not a big gap this season is far from over it's far from a lost cause or anything like that it's been frustrating no doubt not the start that we wanted but In terms of a 162-game marathon, they are totally, you know, within striking distance and can be competitive in this division. I don't think any of that has changed, but as we sort of move through more series and more games get checked off the the calendar, you got to start getting it together at some point. You have to start stringing wins together, and you need to be able to score more than six runs a single time in in 15 games. We need to see more like Saturday. They don't always have to score 13 runs. That's asking a lot, uh, but just more consistent performances from this offense. It sounds obvious, but that's the state of this team, and I think that's obviously, you know, kind of where they're going to live and die. They, they have to show up on offense on a more consistent basis. So I think that's all we have for you. Another frustrating one, guys, but Got an off day on Monday, still at home at Wrigley, welcoming the Mets in, and, you know, it's early, time to turn it around and put a winning streak together. Let's let, you know, I think baby steps, right, Brendan? Let's shoot for getting back to 500 right now, and we can move beyond that when we get there. But let's take it one series at a time, and, you know, kind of like I said last time, I, I hope that uh, after this series with the Mets is over, we have a, a more upbeat discussion to be had. And a series win. It's, it's been a minute, Brendan, unfortunately. Um, so that's really where things are. But uh, hang in there. We will talk to you guys after the Cubs finish up with the Mets. We appreciate your support of the Cubs-related podcast. And as always, we end with Go Cubs!